Hey, as many of you guys know, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, or maybe you're new here, welcome. We've actually been in a series in the book of 1 John. Now, 1 John was actually written by someone who is an eyewitness to the living Jesus, that the Christian faith is not founded upon some sort of philosophy or some sort of myth, but actually we believe that it's founded on a person that actually lived and died and resurrected from the grave. And John is writing as someone who's introducing people to what this Christian faith thing is all about, especially as someone who is this eyewitness of this person, Jesus. Now, one of the themes that we've been talking about uh, week in and week out about 1 John is this theme of light versus darkness. Now, he uses this image because he's talking about this is what life with God is like versus life without God. It's like light and darkness, and he uses this metaphor. Now, whether you're religious or you're not, uh, you could be, in fact, you could be someone who, I, I've never been a Christian, someone just dragged me here because I heard there's pizza afterwards and I can't find pizza in the city. And, uh, and somehow you ended up here. And yet, here's the thing, whether you're religious or you're not, you probably are aware, though, that this idea of light versus darkness, good versus evil, bad versus somewhat better, whatever it might be, that every single one of us as human beings, we experience this dynamic of good and evil, light and darkness. And this is basically what John is saying, that life with Jesus, what he's basically presenting is life with Jesus is a life in the light and life without Jesus is a life in the darkness. And this is what light and darkness is all about. And the invitation is for people to embody and to embrace this life in the light. Now, what we talked about last week, though, is that most of us, when we think about religion, we think of religion as this kind of striving. The better you are, then God will be in relationship with you. But what John has presented, and we talked about this word last week, this word abiding or remaining, that he talks about that the key to the Christian journey is actually not about striving, like perhaps most religious communities might talk about, uh, an earning, a way of kind of proving yourself to God as if you've got this chip on your shoulder. But instead, he uses this word meno. Can I hear you say meno? Meno, which basically in the Greek means to remain or to abide, to remain connected to, to have this relationship with. We talked about how in the Gospel of John, this word meno is used to talk about abiding as like vine and branches, that vine and the branch, they need to remain meno or remaining or abiding. And this is the only way that fruit can be born is when there's this abiding that happens. There's this connectivity, this relationship that remains. Now, one of the ways that I illustrate this last week was this phrase, right? I was talking about Bradley Rapier, who's this hip-hop artist and choreographer. Who He has this talk where he says, when it comes to hip-hop dancing, it's not about the moves, it's about the groove. groove. That's right. It's not about the moves, it's about the grooves. And what he talks about is, I could teach you all day how to Pop and lock, is that, is that the right? Is that the right? Thank you. Thank you, Inhua. Thank you. She's from the Bronx, so I needed that. Yes, from the boogie down. Uh, right? I, I can teach you all about the moves, but it's really about the groove. Now, what is he talking about? See, in his experience, that beyond teaching just s- simple moves about dancing and technically you've got it right, he's talking about a groove about a way of remaining meno, a a way of abiding, of remaining, of being caught up in something that's bigger, that takes up your body, that takes up your mind, your imagination. You're just caught up in the groove. 
You see, and this is what John is talking about when he talks about this relationship with Jesus, that it's being caught up in a groove. It's being caught up in abiding or remaining. It's not about these technical moves or about striving for something, but instead it's about remaining. Now, as the passage was just read by Aaron, though, you may have wondered, there was this passage that came up because there's a lot of religious jargon here. And some of this religion jargon needs to be explained. So, for instance, there's this passage where basically he talks about sin. And notice what John writes. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appears so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, if you're not a Christian here, maybe you walked in and you're like, this is why these Christians are so judgmental. In fact, they think that their expectation is for everyone to be perfect. Or maybe you're someone who, maybe you're, you're this close to leaving faith because that's what you think. You think, I can't believe it. These Christians, all they talk about is being sinless and being perfect people. Well, just so you know, just a few verses before this, John actually talks about this theme of sin. And check out what John writes when he talks about sin. He says, if we claim to be without sin, in other words, what he's doing is he's talking to the church and he's saying, listen, if you claim to be sinless, if you claim to be perfect, guess what? We deceive ourselves. You're deceiving our, yourself and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we're willing to admit that we do have sins, if we're willing to admit that we're not perfect. In other words, if we're a community of faith that admits our own brokenness, our own fallenness, the fact that we do make mistakes, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, guess what? We have a faithful advocate. Now, isn't that interesting? So on one hand, he's talking about this idea that if you remain connected to Jesus, that you'll be without sin. But just a few verses earlier, he's talked about how what it actually means to be a Christian is you admit that you are a sinner. You admit that you do have sin. Now, why is John talking in this way? He's doing it because, you know, all of life is full of nuance. And he's introducing these nuances, but in this illustration of talking about light versus darkness, he's giving you these parallel kinds of ways of thinking about life and sin and darkness and the way that we're to live in it. You see, essentially, here's what John is saying. John is saying this, being a Christian doesn't mean that we are sinless. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. In fact, I might be the worst sinner here. Uh... Yeah, so, yeah. anyhow, I might be the worst sinner here. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. In fact, it means that we're admitting our sinfulness. But hopefully, as Christians, when we remain in relationship with Him, when we're caught up in the groove, we begin to sin less. Now, this is the nuance that John is trying to get at. But he uses this stark language because, again, he's using images of light and darkness, and this is what it's like. Now, here's the thing. When he talks about light and darkness, about sin and the, the things that can so easily trip us up and how we're supposed to be, again, we're not supposed to be sinless, but hopefully we're sinning less. Now, throughout the passage of 1 John, we've been hearing all these metaphors of this religious jargon that, again, if you're new here or you're not religious and maybe you came here and some of these words trip you out like sin and darkness and things like that. 
Well, there are these words that he talks about. And look, he actually introduces another player here when it comes to what's trying to trip us up into living in light or darkness. He says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, are those who are the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He introduces the devil. Now, again, some of you, you might be like, oh, this church is kind of wigging me out a little bit. They're passing their alarms, they're talking about pizza, and they're talking about the devil. Like, what's going on here? Well, you see, now, in Christian theology, if you're not a Christian here, welcome. So glad you came, because I, I want to clue you in on what Christians believe about sin and evil and the darkness. Now, here's the thing. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, you probably also have some sort of worldview or grid that talks about what is good, what is evil, what is light, what is darkness. I'm cluing you in, just a sneak peek, on what Christians believe about sin and darkness. This is what Christians believe. Christians actually believe that there are three things that consist of things that, are, are, that contribute to the sin and darkness that we experience in the world. One thing is called the flesh. Now, the flesh is not just physical flesh. It's actually our own personal proclivities toward greed, towards pride, towards lust, towards uh, lying, towards deceiving, towards all the ways in which I see it in my three-year-old. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I see it, and we see it in all of us, no matter what age we are. Every single one of us has this thing called the flesh, our personal proclivities towards sin and darkness. Now, again, you don't even have to be a Christian to acknowledge, yeah, do you believe that every single person makes a mistake at some point or another? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. And that's what the flesh is. But not only the flesh, there's also the world. The world, the, the way that Christian theology talks about the world, the world are the patterns in this world that continue the systemic ways in which we are driven towards a certain pattern of living that is apart from God. Whether it is greed, whether it's systemic racism or sexism or all the systems of the world that might trip us up and lead us towards sin and darkness. Now, most people, again, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you would acknowledge there is a world. There, is, there are these things that continue to tempt us towards uh, an overreaching kind of ambition. The city that we live in continues to haunt us and taunt us to achieve more, to seek out ambitions so that we can pursue so much significance and power and whatever it might be, this is the ways of the world. Now, this is not to dismiss the beautiful things of the world like we talked about last week, but instead there's this world, the culture that we swim in that is also swimming in, like I mentioned, systemic injustices and racism and sexism and whatever it might look like. But there's also this introduction of this person, the devil. And this is what Christians believe. Again, you can believe it or not, but I'm presenting this to you because this is what John is writing about. He's talking about the devil, that there is a supernatural being that is also there to deceive, to trip up, to get us to, to, to be apart from Jesus, to not meno. And so in this introduction, basically what John is saying is like, listen, when it comes to light and darkness, the temptations toward the darkness in every single one of us is consistently pushing us, prodding us, pulling us, sinking us. And this is what John is saying. He's inviting us to what does life look like to re remain, to remain rooted in Jesus. 
When we've got these things going against us, the flesh and the world, and we've got the devil even against us, what does it take to remain? And this is where, again, we, we talked about the, the metaphor of remaining. We talked about vine and branches that bear fruit. Because that's the only way you can bear fruit is if you remain, if you remain connected. Now that's one metaphor that John basically talks about. But there's another metaphor that in this passage John is going to introduce to us about what does it mean to remain? What does it mean, like, who we are, and what does that matter for each of our lives? And here's the metaphor that John is going to introduce. How do we dare combat the evil and the darkness? How do we do this? He says, see, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Can I hear you say children? Children. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. There that word is again. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. He says it again at the end. Dear children. Do not let anyone lead you astray because the flesh, the world, the devil, these are all ways in which we're being tempted into darkness to leave the Jesus way of love, of beauty, of truth. Instead, we're being tempted into darkness because of the flesh, the world, and the devil. But don't let anyone lead you astray, my dear children. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is uh, right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. Do you see what John is bringing up? He's bringing up another metaphor of what it means to remain, to, to abide, to menow. What he's essentially saying is, listen, the way in which we combat the darkness, the way if you live into this vision of what it means to remain in Jesus, is actually if you begin to live like a child who's deeply loved by a good father. That when you begin to live into your identity, as someone who is so rooted in relationship with a good dad, it changes everything. You see, it's back to this idea of abiding, but here it's abiding as children, as dearly beloved children, versus striving as orphans. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, he actually brings up this kind of dynamic where he talks about a relationship with God found in Jesus is actually found in being sons and daughters as opposed to being orphans. Orphans who are constantly driven as if they have something to prove. You know, um, in my own personal history, I've shared before about my relationship with my father. Grew up in an immigrant household. My father was incredibly violent and incredibly driven and drove us toward the same. And so my relationship with my dad, I often grew up, and I grew up with three brothers. And so the four of us constantly vying for my father's approval, his love, his affection, which we often didn't get. And so... Really, for most of my life, I've grown up with this overreaching kind of um, orphan-like spirit where I've got something uh, like a chip on my shoulder as if I have something to prove. 
Um, that explains why I tend to be a workaholic. That explains why sometimes when I walk into settings, I size myself up and I, I need to kind of go through this mental calculation, especially in a town like this, where people are so accomplished, where I, I start to measure myself up against other people. There's this part of me that starts to get very defensive or feel like whenever I make mistakes, I begin to berate myself. Um, I have this streak towards, um, like when I do make mistakes, of having a hard time forgiving myself. So I, just this past week, I was just sharing with a friend. Uh, we were praying together, and I, I was telling him that like, this memory came to me of when I was in junior high, and I said something to a girl that I had a crush on. And, uh, and then like, just in the middle of the day, I'm just kind of going about my day, and I'm like, Oh, I'm such an idiot, you know, like, like, you know, Tina's like, what's going on? I'm like, uh, uh, you just, you know, this girl I talked to when I was in junior high school, like, more than 30 years ago, and uh, she's just like, what? What are you talking about? What's going on? It's that orphan spirit. It's that, it's that spirit that is not washed or in the groove of a father's love. And what's amazing is what John basically says is like, how deep, how great, how lavish is the Father's love for us as children. And what it means to live in the light versus living in the darkness is being caught up in the love of a father. Where you're not living with that chip on your shoulder, you're not living as an orphan, you're living as a beloved son or daughter. How many of us, even in this town, We get caught up in living a different kind of way. We live with this orphan spirit. Our ambition is more cloaked, not by this rootedness in a father's love, but instead in a, I'll show you what I can do. How many of us, we get driven by how we look or how we appear or what our LinkedIn profiles look like or how many Instagram followers we have, whatever else. And we get driven, we get caught up in this orphan spirit that somehow compels us To want to present ourselves as being different than who we truly are. And yet, meanwhile, there's the Father's love that's continually welcoming us home and saying, will you just abide? Will you just remain in my love? What it means to live in the light versus living in the darkness because this is what the darkness does. The darkness with the flesh. And remember last week we talked about the world and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. There are all these ways. And now we have the devil. All of these ways that are trying to trip us up, trying to convince us that somehow we are not loved, we are not enough, we are orphans that somehow need to prove that we belong And meanwhile, what John is saying is like, no, don't you understand what it means to be caught up in the groove? What it means to to remain, to abide, is to remember that you have a good dad whose love for you is true and love for you is real. You know, as as I've worked over the years with my therapists around some of these dynamics, around my own kind of proclivities to condemnation and towards, you know, that little thing in my head that continues to berate myself. Um, You know, one of the things that we talk about, and he's someone uh, is also a person of faith, this counselor would basically tell me, he said, you know, there's something mysterious about when children grow up in environments where they are deeply loved and rooted, somehow... There's like this, he calls it a divine imprint on the soul where they know the love of a father 
and the love of a mother so deeply that it keeps them, their ability to bounce back from things, their ability to kind of walk in the world without defensiveness or offensiveness. There's something about that divine imprint. As we heard Simon and Say pray over Kayla and share these wishes, like it's that divine imprint over children when they grow up with a sense of love and a fullness. Now here's the reality. There is no perfect human love or father and mother that could ever replace this divine love. But at the same time, in many ways, fathers and mothers are given to us to be these conduits of love, of joy, of of giving to us this divine fingerprint over your life, over your heart and mine. And where those gaps are, well, I mean, here's the most beautiful thing about what John is writing. John is saying, like, that love, perhaps, that maybe was deficient in your own life, that love, maybe, that uh, maybe it wasn't deficient, but still there's that chip on your shoulder, that orphan spirit that still resides in you and in me. John is basically saying, well, you just get caught up in the groove of a father's love. The love of a good dad who just wants to welcome you home. Henry Nouwen, he wrote this book called uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And check out what he writes about his own journey. He says, for most of my life, I have struggled to find God. Now keep in mind, Henry Nouwen is a pastor, a professor, and a religious writer. Here he is as someone who is steeped in religious thought. And here's what he says. I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life. Pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by Him? The question is not, how am I to know God, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. How many of you today have been living like orphans? And the darkness that you find yourself in relationally is because you've been living like an orphan. Not as a dearly beloved son or daughter, but instead someone who thinks I have to use my body in such a way to to earn love. How many of us are living like orphans in the way that we're pursuing this career and degrading other people at the expense of our own integrity and it's because we're living like orphans who somehow have this chip on our shoulders. Meanwhile, today's a day when God is here to try to welcome you home, to let you know you are deeply loved. How many of us live in reactivity to negative things? How many of you, like me, we berate ourselves when things go wrong and we're, we're unable to cope with difficulties or trials because it's so hard to, to really believe, to truly believe that despite it all, we are deeply loved? 
And what if today God wants to call you home to be a son or a daughter, to be caught up in a groove again? Here's what Nowen writes. He says, although claiming my true identity as a child of God, I still live as though the God to whom I'm returning demands an explanation. I still think about his love as conditional and about home as a place I am not yet fully sure of. While walking home, I keep entertaining doubts about whether I will be truly welcome when I get there. As I look at my spiritual journey, my long and fatiguing trip home, I see how full it is of guilt about the past and worries about the future. I realize my failures and know that I have lost the dignity of my sonship or daughtership, but I am not yet able to fully believe that where my failings are great, grace is always greater. Still clinging to my sense of worthlessness, I project for myself a place far below that which belongs to a son or to a daughter. What if God today is welcoming you home? What if today all the anxieties that have crippled you during this pandemic season, what if all the ways in which you've been caught up in decisions that have been awry from the light and towards the darkness, what if those decisions really they've been at the very root of them because you haven't been living as a beloved son or daughter, but instead you've been living as an orphan. And what if today the invitation was to come home? To come home again. To be embraced again. To find freedom again. To be loved again.